This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2013 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Now streaming only on Hulu. From NPR, I'm Julia Furlan, in for Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. If you enjoyed Russian Doll on Netflix, you know this jam. Gotta get up, gotta get out, gotta get home before the morning comes. What if I'm lit? Russian Doll is the dark comedy starring Natasha Leone, created by Leone with Amy Poehler and playwright Leslie Headland. It premiered on Netflix to rave reviews this year. And this song is Harry Nilsson's Gotta Get Up. We hear it over and over again as Nadia, the main character, played by Natasha Leone, keeps dying and reliving the same night, the night of her birthday party. Each time, she reappears in the bathroom of her friend Maxine's apartment. Sweet birthday, baby! Maxine is hosting the party. Sweet birthday, baby! Having fun? Sweet birthday, baby! What? What? Sweet birthday, baby! Sweet birthday, baby! Having fun? The universe is trying to f*** with me. Maxine is played by Greta Lee, one of the few characters who's also caught up in Nadia's time loop. When we sat down in New York, I kind of couldn't help myself. (laughs) Can I do something? Yeah. Sweet birthday, baby. Okay, so I was thinking, (laughs) maybe I should just quit acting and get some sort of deal going with Netflix. Like, anytime someone says that to me, I get something, you know. Royalties. Minimal. Just like five cents. (laughs) Of course, her part is way more than that. And Greta is also known for roles on HBO as Heidi on High Maintenance and Sujin on Girls. She's appeared on Inside Amy Schumer and on Broad City. And she's got a development deal at HBO to write and star in a new show there that I'm so thrilled about. We talked about all of that, about Greta's rise in the New York comedy scene, about working with Natasha Lyonne and Amy Poehler, and about how the three of them worked together years ago on a failed TV show pilot that was reborn as Russian Doll. Here's our chat. There was a time when we could dance until a quarter to ten. We never thought it would end then. We never thought it would end. You actually, you used to live in L.A. and you reverse uh, commuted to New York as an actor. So weird. I can't believe that. People would choose New York over L.A., that like beautiful, sunny world. Makes no sense. Please explain. Yeah. You sound like my mom. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) God, mom. It's been almost 15 years, okay? I live in New York. Let it go. Yeah. Uh, No, I, my whole family still lives in L.A. They think I'm so weird. Because I choose this life. (laughs) It's been said of anyone who lives here. Yeah, right? Um, I'm obviously in L.A. a lot because of work, and it brings me there, and my family's there. But I've said that what it has proven to be so necessary for me to just keep going in whatever this weird business that it is that I'm involved with is just, like, being connected to people, other people. Yeah. Strangers. <laughs> Basically, other things that everyone in L.A., they are repulsed by. I need that in order to do what I do. Like, I I can't imagine living in some house, like, on a beautiful hill with perfect lighting and having the tools in my tool belt to inhabit these people. It's just, it's imperative that I, like, have to rub shoulders 
whether I like it or not, with all these people. I agree. I think sometimes you're in a subway car and you see a tiny kindness that Mm -hmm. just gets stuck in your head. Like somebody is nice to somebody else for no reason or somebody is just like sobbing and a stranger comes up to them and is like, hey, I'm sorry you're sad. You know, like there are also there are terrible things (laughs) that that also happen. You know, we're not talking about those, though. Yeah. Yeah. Not those. Not those. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Mom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is your family from L.A. originally? They are from Korea, from South Korea. Um, And they moved to L.A. first and had me, and then we moved to the East Coast, and then we moved back Mm -hmm. from Canarsie, Brooklyn, to Los Angeles. And I went to ESL class because I had a very strange mix of uh, Korean was my first language, Korean and a fake Brooklyn accent, I'm going to say. I'm going to prescribe to my young (laughs) self. And now I just sound like a valley girl. So... Here we go. Doesn't life make complete sense? (laughs) When I was five, we lived in Massachusetts. But I also, I was born in Brazil and then I Mm -hmm. grew up in Massachusetts. But then I lived in LA and then we lived in Massachusetts. Where in Massachusetts? We lived in In Massachusetts. Acton, Massachusetts. Acton? Okay. Yeah. I don't know where that is. Springfield, Massachusetts. Springfield, yeah. But I, for a brief time had a like very strong Boston accent. I was like, I'm going to at class. <laughs> and I remember my family friend being like, you have to get her out of there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so Russian Doll yeah. is your show on Netflix. Yeah. It is delightful. Oh, thanks. It is so much fun. I had a wonderful time consuming it in four days. Like, oh my just gosh. <laughs> Did you sleep okay? Um, yes. Okay. I didn't sleep enough, though. I was up until like one thirty two a.m. because I could not stop. My husband left me. Uh-huh. I mean, not forever, just oh, God, during I, the yeah, show. I'm, I'm so he sorry. was like, I can't. <laughs> don't put that on me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, he like he was like, look, you're you're blowing through these too fast. Uh-huh. I'm gonna need you. I I'm gonna need to take a break. Um, but it it's it's a show that's written by women, mm-hmm. um, and it feels like it has like a really connected group of women behind it on screen and off screen in all different areas. Yeah. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about how, how that may be different from other experiences that you've had? Yeah. Well, okay. I was thinking about this particular crew of women and what it is that feels so different and special about this because I've worked, you know, I've worked with other women before. Shocking. Yeah. But there's this, like, shared quality amongst us. Well, first of all, I think, like, everyone's kind of a theater nerd secretly or maybe not so secretly. Um, Leslie Headland is an like, extremely prolific playwright. Natasha, too. Yeah, Natasha did a bunch of work stage work. Under her belt. Yeah. There's that. And there's also this, and I hope I'm not, like, speaking out of turn here, but there's this short, sort of, like, shared self-identifying like underdog quality to the group. Yeah. Which, by the way, is very, very difficult to when our, sh- our show on IMDb is, is number one. Right. It's like so a super it's, success. It's really weird. <laughs> Nobody's very ready. strange. And everyone, I think, you know, it's incredible. But I think for self-identifying, like, underdogs... We are used to being ignored or rejected. So this feeling, what is this feeling? 
so uncomfortable. Uh, the hives are success, actually. Yeah. Oh, oh, is that what it is? Okay. This <laughs> my my like cortisol cream is like really not. I need something stronger. Yeah. Uh, but I think that we <laughs> our kind of communal response to the success is actually like what drew me to the story and how we were going to tell it. Basically, all of us ha- ha- are have felt that there's like something deeply up about each of us by society standards. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I think so in the making of the show, it never felt like we were doing anything other than trying to tell this kind of like punk, dark, twisted, absurd story that was, you know, I think everyone kind of felt like we're good. Let's just go go for broke and see. And now to have it have this response like it's it's neat to feel like these very personal um, themes and and life experiences can be so universal. I mean, that does feel like very life affirming and yeah. yeah. And I've seen a lot of writing about the show that says that it's a dark show that is deeply life affirming. That mm-hmm. you know, like the underlying. My my friend and former colleague Bim Adewunmi wrote this wonderful piece about how it's a show that ultimately tells everybody that you need to choose each other and sort of like choose the goodness in the world and move towards that no matter what. Right, right. I I have a theory about it. Are you ready? This is exactly what you want is a person giving you a theory about a thing that you made, a piece of art. But it feels like a very New York show. Um, And I think the underdog quality and the sort of like self-hating but also relying on other people, these are things that New Yorkers have to do and choose to do over and over and over again. Yeah, it's like we're living our own time loop, says New Yorkers. Every day, it's like, I just barely survived. Like, almost died four times. Let's try it again. Exactly. Like, what are we going to do? C-train, what gotta you got? Get up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel like we're in a time where the categories for creators are sort of breaking down. Like, you don't have to be a comedic actor or a dramatic actor or just a writer or any one of these things. Mm -hmm. And Russian Doll feels very of that moment where, you know, people are behind the camera and in front of the camera and they're writing and they're performing. What do you think about that? It's so tiring. We used to just be able to be good at one thing just one thing at a time. And now I have to be like an actor, writer, director, DJ. Social media star. Cer- ceramicist <laughs> slash, you know, like beekeeper. Let me be good at one thing and go home and go to sleep and try again at that one thing. But no, we can't do that anymore. No, it's a great thing. I I think that that is a result also from people realizing if we want to tell our own stories, well... No one's going to be better at doing that than yourself, right? It's like, congratulations, you're your own writer's room. <laughs> exactly. Go. Um, you just have to just do it on your own. Like, you can't wait. Um, in this show, Natasha and Amy, it's been a, it's been years in the making. Uh, we, right. we did this pilot together, Old Soul, for NBC. Five years ago, right? Five years ago. It failed. And then that was that planted the seeds for this, which is, you know, much darker. Is it much more more interesting? interesting? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, I have this picture of us in costume for this show for NBC. It's hilarious because I think it's it's set in New York. 
Uh-huh. I mean, we are like the network TV. Can you imagine a network the TV network. version of <sighs> Russian Doll? I Instead of like Gotta Get Up, it'd be like a Maroon 5 song. It would <laughs> or like, be. I mean, you know, like, oh yeah, and it wouldn't even be me. It'd be like Selena Gomez or someone. <laughs> what, what are we ki- kidding ourselves? Fair, fair yeah. point. So it feels like it was like a really lucky, wonderful thing that it happened. Yeah, that it got to, that, that you got failed. this other chance to do it. It's a very Russian doll experience. Yeah. Again, but we're underdogs who are used to failure, so this is very confusing for us to accept that like <laughs> it worked. So I watched it in four days. Yeah, just like a marathon. I consumed it so like in one fell swoop. I wonder how you feel about people consuming something that you tried so hard to craft and that has been so many years in the making and then people consume it just like all in one fell swoop like it's a cheeseburger and they haven't eaten all day. (laughs) Do you have feelings about that? Like the way the audience comes to your work? Well, I didn't, but now I do. Sorry. Now now you feel like that. Now I'm getting worked up about it. (laughs) I, yeah, the scale, the, uh, I guess that is, that is also very Russian doll. The time is um, with TV shoots, it takes so much longer than right. people think. Even, you know, <laughs> I initially thought, okay, this is going to be the easiest shoot. Look at the script. Time loops. Really? Love a time loop. Great. We're going to shoot out that first party scene, sweet birthday baby, chicken, 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 smoke, smoke. You can just, like, keep using that, right? One and done. No. Turns out. <laughs> wow. Months and months. Yeah. I mean, of course. Like, I, each time we reset, we were sort of treating it like its own show. Completely new thing. Yeah. And we'd start from the beginning and really sit down and meticulously plan out, okay, what just happened? How did she die the time before? What is she looking for this next time? All those things, like we, we these are we conversations that you guys had. Yeah, basically, I tried to phone it in, but they wouldn't let me. You know, I was like, "Great, <laughs> let's just come on, chicken, 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 let's go." No, no, no. Did you have that preparation? Like, were you carrying the previous world into your character too? Um, it was hard not to. Um, I think it would have been easier if I could live in this vacuum where, yeah, I was just um, separated from all of that. But Natasha is so. She wears everything on her sleeve. It just, sometimes I say to her, I'm like, it's because, girl, your eyes are so big, you just can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> she has a big face. She yeah, has big like, expressions. Yeah. It's like, it must be hard for you because you, you can't hide anything on that, on that face. No. And every time we got together to shoot those scenes, it just, yeah, it, it, it's harder to, to ignore that is what I'm trying to say. That. Right, um, like each time you encountered Natasha Leone, it was she was different every time. Yeah, that's that's really incredible. That's yeah. a, a huge feat. Yeah, she really she's amazing. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a fan. I'm a fan of hers. <laughs> um, same. I don't know if you can tell, <laughs> but so am I. Uh, uh, there was a tweet by Louis Peitzman that called it the Natasha Leonaissance. Mm. Like I'm so happy to be alive for the Natasha Leonaissance. Aren't we all? It's just it's like finally. Yes. I know. It's time for a break. When we come back, Amy Schumer, Lena Dunham, and the network of women in New York comedy. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. With a franchised network of highly trained agents and advanced marketing tools, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services network members aim to provide something more than just real estate. They think beyond the next transaction and build relationships based on your long-term goals to ensure you'll get all the value that home brings year after year, home after home. All that more they do, that's home services. Start your home search at BerkshireHathawayHS.com. I'm Bob Boylan, host of NPR's All Songs Considered and creator of the Tiny Desk series. I have a message for unsigned musicians all across America. Enter the 2019 Tiny Desk Contest for a chance to play your very own Tiny Desk concert. It'll change your life. So no matter what kind of music you make, we want to hear from you. Find out more at npr.org slash tinydeskcontest. You have until Sunday, April 14th. Better hurry. Um, so you had roles on Girls and Broad City and High Maintenance. And these are shows that really feel like ensemble performances where, like, you see the characters on screen and you know that this might be, like, all made up in your head, but it feels like everyone has really good chemistry and maybe, like, they walk out of frame and they're, like, giggling to each other about that scene or they're going out for coffee or drinks or whatever later. Um, Is that something that you've cultivated on purpose in the community that you found in acting? Or was that sort of something that you walked into? Or am I making it up because the chemistry is so good on screen? (laughs) Well, okay. I think that I think what was ha- what was happening was um there's like really this like movement, this like class of women in comedy who were coming up together at around the same time in New York. And I think that some of those relationships that you're seeing on these shows for me were happening in real life as right. we were all getting to know each other over the last few years. But like what you're seeing on camera probably at that time, it was engineered. It's fake. It was just a job. Oh, my God. Acting is fake. It's not real. (sighs) Listeners, I'm so sorry to break this to you. Yeah. So you're saying that, like, it was a group of women in comedy, like Ilana and Abby. Yeah. And the, the, like, UCB folk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that that sort of, like, group of women in comedy were uplifting each other and recommending each other for roles and whatnot. Yeah. Like, uh, the way I met Amy Schumer... (laughs) I met her at a Noah Baumbach movie audition. Neither of us got the part. Shocking. I don't think either of us even got called back. I mean. And it was one of those New York moments after we were brutalized (laughs) where we were taking the elevator down. And we were just like, you know, talking shop um, and... To say, like, how'd that go? How'd that go for you? I mean, just so miserable, right? (laughs) But that was right before Amy, uh, Inside Amy Schumer was going to come out. And that was right before I was going to, Lena was going to ask me to come read this part on Girls. And we're just sort of like, you know, hey, I'm Greta. Hey, I'm Amy. Amy." And I I was familiar with her stand-up. And then we were both at the table read for On Girls. Oh, interesting. Amy was there. I see. Um, and like, when I think now about who else was there at the time, like Jessica Williams was there. Um, and we all part of like, oh, like this group of women is just like, okay, what's the show? Girls, okay. And then 
that show came out. Amy Schumer came out, and I ended up getting to be on Amy Schumer. Yeah, with you were Amy. on it all the time. Yeah, but I mean, it was such a different era. Like our holding for Inside Amy Schumer season one was a homeless shelter, and someone pooped on a floor during our lunch break. Oh God! Yeah, so it would be like, okay, Amy, Amy, come on, we're setting up. Like cameras, cameras setting up right now. Step over the poop. Oh, step. Oh, watch yeah, out! It's human poop. Here we go. Nope. Um, yeah. I mean, it seems like there's that, that shared hustle, right? Like it was, yeah. everybody was just like, we're going to grind and get through this so that we can eventually ask for more for ourselves, right? Exactly. Yeah. And advocate for each other. I remember Amy telling a, a group of us earlier on, she was like, you know, how did she say it? She was like, just write your own <laughs> Just do it, okay? <laughs> She's like, whip out those laptops, go deka, 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 just do it. I, I, I forget who I was with. And it was the kind of advice you hear all the time from people, but, you know, she really meant it. And she, I think that's when she was writing Trainwreck. Um, right. So it felt like it was coming from her heart and it was easy yeah. to understand. It was, like, easy to hear that. Right, right, right. So I wanted to talk to you about fashion because you... Because I hate it so much? I mean, clearly, <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't seem like you do. You... You have a style and you have an aesthetic and you wear really cool outfits. Well, thanks. <laughs> I Yeah, to be clear, I, I do like fashion. I do. I, I think that sometimes that can be uh, a, a tricky thing to navigate because, <sighs> how do I say this? There was a time when being a feminist and being taken seriously as an artist and maybe arguably even more so in comedy – being really into clothing is not necessarily a good thing, right? Like yeah. it's not it's not like a well, it's trying too hard. Yeah, it's trying too hard and also like creatively comedy people, you want to be able to satirize that stuff. So if you're in it, you know, like it's, it just doesn't work, you know? Exactly. Also, I think that comedy has this sort of um white guy yeah. schlubby sort of um aesthetic to it yes that is like I didn't have to try and you're still laughing at me and you still like me yeah that I think doesn't it's not a cutout that fits always for women right I remember when I was doing some improv in New York ugh this question of what do you wear was really upsetting and very like this hard problem which I've since talked about um, with other women and it's things have changed but practically speaking, it's just like this thing where you're a woman. Do you hide the fact that you're a woman? Like, do I have to go buy that ugly flannel too and fit in with the guys? Like, right. do I do I need to cover my body so I can believably play other characters? Yeah. But happily now, I think in this extensive fashion too, like it's fine. Like, I like clothes. Deal with it. I don't know. <laughs> All right? Is it a problem? Like, I don't know. Like, this is I can't help it. I like clothes. I'm, um, I'm so sorry for you. Yeah. Because <laughs> you wear them every day. Yeah, yeah. right? We're all going to die. So I, you might as well, like, you know, do something fun with it. Absolutely. I, I saw you are pregnant. I don't know if you've it's figured that out. It's good to be reminded. Yeah, great. It's good sorry. to be reminded Just wanted to it. make sure you were on that. Yeah. And you just posed almost entirely new, tasteful nude yeah. with a coat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with Just with a faux fur or real fur, I don't really know, coat. Yeah. Um, very tasteful. But, like, I remember when Demi Moore did that on a, a magazine cover. I don't even know when that was, but it was, like, groundbreaking. For sure. And I feel like now it's now not it's like, like huh. that. Oh, look at that. 
make it pregnant. I know. <laughs> Even my mom, I was really bracing myself for some phone calls. You know, I was like, don't at me, mom. I know. I know what's coming. <laughs> but even her response is like, oh, proud. Actually, I think her comment was proud and then some emojis and then but and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> Classic mom. So I, I feel like so with with that, like I when they asked me to do that and they they brought up Demi Moore and they brought up that Vanity Fair shoot and. This is um, Humberto and Carol of Opening Ceremony, and they said, you know, for this lookbook, we, we want to ask members of our community to help us with this exploration of Asian identity and, like, will you be naked under this coat? And I was kind of like, well, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, I kind of just felt like, do we need that? Like, you know. Yeah. Um, And I think that I have my own sort of feeling – self-conscious of you know how much of myself do i need to put out there right like i totally. it's already a lot like as a performer you just you know those lines get blurred so easily but then anytime i have these sort of questions of like okay am i going to with social media i habitually try to quit instagram every sunday night no way yeah um it chemically alters my brain. It just does. Oh, but what what I was going to say about with, like, uh, that photo shoot and, like, and wanting to quit Instagram. I, in those moments when I want to retract everything and, and hide, um, what keeps me going is knowing that on some level, like, I'm, I'm able to contribute to just, like, seeing the presence of Asians. Um in this way that like, does feel like important absolutely on some level. I mean I feel like you were the only one in a lot of those rooms as you were coming up you were the only person who wasn't white or you were the only Asian person and there is a vacuum that comes yeah. with the lack of representation like if you weren't Instagramming or if you weren't performing or if you weren't um, saying yes to these opportunities it's entirely possible that they would be oh, like yeah. oh cool we don't the, like well, Next. Greta said no. So and it's someone and else. It's a Kathy, white person, blonde, and yeah, know, yeah. Do you feel like that is a a thing that you think about as you're approaching your career and the next things that you're going to do, which I want to talk about? But yeah, um, I mean, it's well. So it's this two prong thing where, of course, like I want to shine a light on it and acknowledge that it exists. That there's like this. In huge vacuum in terms of representation but then I feel like the most successful and progressive opportunities are ones where race is not the thing where let's take like Sue Jin of Girls or the stuff we were doing the sketch work we were doing for Inside Amy Schumer or Maxine on Russian Doll there's never like well like an Asian Maxine over there making her like stir fry or something. Yeah, terrible. exactly. Like, You're not like performing Asianness. Yeah, and it's not mentioned at all. I think that that's one of the true signs of representation mm -hmm. is basically not having to use shorthand and ha accepting characters in the larger context of their characters and not sort of like pointing to race things. Yes, it's definitely uh, there's been progress. But it's still very rare. Like I still, I have that moment when I walk onto set for the first time and I have to confront my character's space, like her home or office cubicle or whatever it is. And yeah. I just clench because nine times out of ten, 
there's going to be like some sort of like paper crane or like a set of chopsticks that are like inexplicably placed with the pencils and like right like hello kitty or the like, oh god it it's really weird that it still happens and in these progressive environments too it's messed up too yeah i'm not going through my life as an Asian, like, here's my Asian hand reaching for this cup, taking a sip with my Asian lips, and, like, yeah. now I'm going to go, you know, yeah, there's the a white gaze person. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, the work it puts on me to, you know, put up a stink and say, excuse me, like, can we not with the Asian stuff? And then, like, having to, you know, stop production to do that. I mean, it gets really exhausting. So... That is more the norm, I hate to say. So when I have an experience like this where it's just not there, we can skip that and then we can just work and like and make these people people. Time for one more break. When we come back, we'll talk about Greta's HBO show that's currently in development and how she almost got swallowed up by a career in the restaurant industry. This message comes from NPR sponsor Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There's a subculture of people fascinated by prime numbers. You know, like 7, 11, 13, 17, 19. Primes go on forever. There is no final biggest prime number. And the hunt for the latest monster prime number can take years. You end up with a 24 million digit long number. Ideas on the power and beauty of math on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. So before we talk about what you're up to with HBO, I wanted to talk to you about food mm-hmm. because... I don't like food. Uh, We're not going to have anything to talk about. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, like I'm it. so sorry. I have a food allergy, you know, just in general. Just you know, people have food? like, yeah. You worked at Momofuku Sambar and you, like, you did a couple of interviews around food-related things. I mm-hmm. loved your Grub Street diet. Those Thanks. things are fascinating. Aren't they? Yeah. And I, I sort of see a parallel between working in a, like fancy restaurant with a chef who's like on his way to becoming famous Mm -hmm. and acting and like the hustle that that takes Mm -hmm. in in both career paths it's like there is no middle ground no there's not is that about you like do you feel like that's something that you have in you the the like no chill Yeah. What do you mean? How do I, I'm so relaxed. Look at my matching sweatsuit, sweatpants suit. I'm you, so, you're very I'm so chill. chill. To be clear, I only get chill vibes from you. Gosh, that was such a trying, grueling, and yet very uh, important part of my life where I was oh, trying to be an actor and also slaving away for the Momofuku Empire. But I'm totally nostalgic for that time. Really? Yeah. I think that anyone who's worked in the food service biz, I miss the weeds, which is really psychotic of me to say. Like, I miss that feeling. Where it's like everything is popping, everything is happening Mm -hmm. all at once, and you are just like, you have to sort of like flow with the chaos. Is that what you mean? Yeah. And I I did a a bunch of different um, jobs for 
that restaurant, and I, I ended up working at some of the other restaurants too, but I was a host mm-hmm. at one point, which is probably the most powerful I've ever felt in my life. Because <laughs> <laughs> remember, this, this is when Momofuku was about to become, yeah, what it, what it is now. Yeah. Um, and getting to work the door of that restaurant. Who did you say no to? Like, no, no it, it was like, uh, we don't, we don't um, seat in complete parties. Oh, but but we're we're here, man. We've no, been sorry. here. That's just our policy. Ooh, yeah. Less is more. I love it. I just felt so powerful, um, and then I'd cry because I didn't have enough time to prepare for my audition the next day. Uh, like I knew way too much about microgreens when I needed to be trying to become an actor. So let's like back up. So you you sort of. You had some time in the restaurant industry, uh-huh. and but you were, like, hustling at being an actor as well? Or do you feel like it, like, sort of swallowed you up and then you went into It definitely acting? swallowed me up. I think what happened was I did – my first job out of college was a, this huge Broadway musical, Spelling Bee. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for close to a year and almost a year and a half, I think. It's a long time to do a show. Eight shows a week. Yeah. And I know, like, you know, the cast of Mamma Mia is like, what are you doing? <laughs> they're they're like, like, girl, you don't even know. <laughs> yeah. But for a 21-year-old, like, I, oh, that was, that was a lot. And I, I think that I had a lot of, I had some preconceived notions about what was going to happen to me after finishing the show, which was just, like, laughable. Like, I really like thought, what? like, like I'm Natalie Portman now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like yeah. a lot of like I'm going out with my like banker friends like drinks on me guys. I'm on this this I'm on this show, this Broadway show called Spelling Bee. Like I yeah. got this. I got it. It's yeah, it's happening. Yeah, no idea that how hard it was going to be. The reality of like a career. It's right. just like this hypothetical thing. Like you think like, oh, at that age, I was like, I was a kid and I thought, okay, so when I'm done with this, then Spielberg. I'm right, ready. exactly. I'm the ready. phone's ringing off the hook, girl. <laughs> right. Mah. Instead, it was like, go straight to the restaurant <laughs> and start working your butt off. <laughs> um, so I guess this is a good time to ask you about your future projects that you are writing. Yeah. Please tell us about okay. it. Tell us everything you can about right. Koreatown. Okay. What can I say about that? I am working on a show with Jason Kim, who is also from Girls. Um, yeah. And uh, he's also Korean-American. And we first got together to write a different TV show. It's something else. And we yeah, – comedy. And I think at one point it was a girl with, you know, special superpowers. Really? Like, like you know – Something that you were asked to write or you guys got, no, together, got together and you were, we were like, like, oh, we just want to do something different. Something yeah. fun, you know, like, something yeah. for us. Yeah. yeah. But not Asian specific. No. Yeah. I think in on some level we were trying to avoid that, yeah. right? Um, because we we get told that a lot. It's like, so when are you going to write like, you know, you're fresh off the boat or you're like um, All-American Girl? But that people, other people, put you in a box where they're like, of. "Oh, you're, you two are both Korean, so like, when are you going right. to write your Korean show?" And exactly. you're like, "We don't want to write a Korean show. We just want to write a show." Right. Okay. So we tried not to, and then how'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we spend most of our time just like <laughs> about our families, <laughs> and also the trauma of growing up as an immigrant child, 
Um, and it just became so clear that this was a show that we were writing. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there are other elements that are involved. I mean, we um, it's set in Koreatown, Los Angeles. And we are – what else? I mean, it's so hard. It's like – Can I say the things that I've known so that yes, they're – Yes, go at ahead. At the very least, they're Great. public? Yes. So it's a family – it's it's a family sort of like drama comedy, comedy drama, mm-hmm. dark comedy. Mm-hmm. But it's about a crime family, right? Yeah. Which I think is a really interesting sort of destruction of the model minority myth. Yeah. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what you meant to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it's – I mean – I feel like, is it going to be an all-Asian cast or mostly Asian cast and mostly Korean cast, maybe? It's going to be all Costa Rican, actually. Great. Um, oh, pura uh, vida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the family is a Korean family, yes. Yes. Uh, and yes, they are embedded in some sort of crime. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yes, we, I think, like, we weren't setting out to, like, break down this model minority, it was more, we don't come from perfect families. Right. And I, we don't identify with that. Like, I, so much of my trauma as a child was n- never fitting into this box. And, yeah. you know, I was too loud. I wasn't ladylike enough. And I, you know, I was, like, pretty good at math, but not good enough. Like, yeah. I just never fit in um, to that. And so I think... At the end of the day, we're just we're making a show that works. A show that works involves multidimensional characters that are real. That means they're not going to be perfect people. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, what's been interesting almost immediately was this isn't to say this has been the the uh, primary response, but there have been voices who already were sort of pushing back on this. Idea. I want to. I want to say like a protectiveness of. Oh, wait of, a second. How are you going to portray us as a community? Right. Like, this is our one shot. Yeah. Which I get because yeah. I felt that way in my life. Like, where are we? We're absent. Like, mm-hmm. so if you're going to be portrayed, finally, I guess you want to come across as like good. Look, but, as a Latina who has refuse to watch any like cartel movies mm-hmm. it's i think it's a it's a valid question to yeah. think about right like but i do feel like there are fewer Kore- i mean i i haven't watched a, a ton of like k dramas or whatever but like i at least in the united states hbo netflix world i haven't seen a a k town yeah us either so that's what we're after um we're excited we're writing. And you're in it, mm-hmm. which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Have you written a role that feels closer to who you actually are or further away from who you are? Uh, where we've landed is some sort of mix of myself and also people in my life and my family. Um it's going to be a combination. Like your sister's going to watch it and be like, how dare she? <laughs> she's dragging me secretly. She's taking Maybe. this tiny bit of me. <laughs> and she's performing, and uh, I can tell. Surprisingly, my whole family, they're so gay. My mom's like, so am I going to get like a producer credit? Like she's like, Ooh. she's got, I, I have stories. My dad's like, I'm, I'm an actor, you know. My dad's a doctor. Like he's not this, the way he's coming anywhere near that set. He's it's already like dressing kind of differently in front of me. I'm like, Dad, oh. are you auditioning? Are you auditioning for the show right do, now? Do you ever like sit in the living room and your dad comes in and he just does starts doing a scene? Like an entrance? He's like, he's yeah. like hello. Right. He's like, sorry, I'm going to take that again. Take <laughs> so two. So great. Um, Greta Lee, thank yeah. you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. 
Greta Lee, sweet birthday baby, thank you. And for more of Greta, do not miss her on NPR's Ask Me Another. She'll be there on the April 5th episode, kicking off their Women in Comedy series. Every Friday, all of April on Ask Me Another, Women in Comedy. Don't miss it. And of course, you can still catch all of Russian Doll on Netflix. And if you haven't yet, I highly recommend it. This Friday, I'm thrilled to be your host for our weekly wrap on the news, culture, and everything else. So listeners, as always, make sure you share your best thing all week. It makes me cry with happiness every time. Record yourself and email the file to us here at samsanders at npr.org. You might hear it on this Friday's episode. Until then, I'm Julia Furlan. Thank you so much for listening. Sweet birthday baby. Sweet birthday baby. Sweet birthday baby. Sweet birthday baby. There's nobody here. There's no party. I am the party. This message comes from NPR sponsor Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.